Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll chat with the president of the Canadian Agricultural Hall of Fame. Also, we'll get an update from CN Rail on grain movement. And up first in today's country comment, I'll have details on a new project between Oat Canada and Roquette. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. This week is Canada's first plant-based food week. Yesterday, Protein Industries Canada announced an investment into a project between Oat Canada and Roquette. The $4.1 million project will see the development of novel oat ingredients and nutritionally superior oat-based food and beverage products. Lisa Campbell is Director of Programs and Regulatory at Protein Industries Canada. Particularly as it's Canada's first plant-based food week, organized by our MC Leslie Ewing and the other hardworking staff at Plant-Based Foods of Canada, Protein Industries Canada has partnered with Plant-Based Foods of Canada, um, as well as many other organizations on a number of projects and initiatives. Today, we're working together to increase the profile and strength of our plant-based and emerging sector across the country. Plant-Based Food Week is the perfect time to kick a project like this off. It wasn't that long ago that Canada didn't have much to speak of in terms of a plant-based food ingredients sector. The plant-based options on our grocery shelves were limited, but today that sector is growing and thriving. And every day there's a new product or partnership to talk about, like the one we're talking about today. This is in large part because of the Canadian entrepreneurs that are putting products on our shelves. And it's because Canada has such incredible strengths in food and agriculture that we can build upon. City's $4.4 million project announcement is an example of both. Canada has a strong global reputation for growing both high quality and large amounts of healthy high protein oats. Throughout this project, Roquette will build on that reputation by taking those oats and turning them into the first oat protein ingredient that we've developed here in Canada. From there, Oat Canada will incorporate the new ingredient into their renowned oat-based beverages, as well as in several new products. This provides Canadian consumers with more of the quality plant-based products that they're looking for, and importantly, plant-based foods and ingredients that are grown and processed right here in Canada. By increasing Canada's processing strength, we can secure our domestic supply chain, increasing food options for Canadians right here at home, and decreasing food miles, which means a reduced carbon footprint and a more sustainable food. It's an effort that can make us more sustainable, more resilient, and more competitive in the global market, helping us reach the $25 billion potential we're capable of attaining over the next 15 years. I'd like to thank both Roquette and Oak Canada for their work on this project. This was an exciting one from the day we received it um, early, late last year. I'm already a huge fan of Oak Canada's products, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the new ones on our grocery shelves at home. That was Lisa Campbell with Protein Industries Canada. She was part of an announcement yesterday where Protein Industries Canada announced an investment into a project between Oat Canada and Roquette. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Yesterday, Protein Industries Canada announced an investment into a project between Oat Canada and Roquette. 
The $4.1 million project will see the development of novel oat ingredients and nutritionally superior oat-based food and beverage products. Lisa Campbell is Director of Programs and Regulatory at Protein Industries Canada. She noted that this week is Canada's first plant-based food week. It wasn't that long ago that Canada didn't have much to speak of in terms of a plant-based food ingredients sector. The plant-based options on our grocery shelves were limited, but today that sector is growing and thriving. And every day there's a new product or partnership to talk about, like the one we're talking about today. Roquette will develop Canada's first oat protein ingredient through the project. Oat Canada will test the ingredient in its current line of products as well as in several new products. The Stanley Soil Management Association held its annual meeting last week. Joe Gardner from Clearwater was the keynote speaker. He talked about plant diversity. We have a common conception of how agriculture works, and that is monocropping. So we grow a field of wheat or a field of canola, um, and our eyes fail to look at the blueprint that Mother Nature has put out for us. High-grade variety of plants, uh, plants that grow at different levels, or different heights, capturing sunlight at different heights, root at different levels, capture sunlight at different times, have different growing seasons. He says the key is creating diversity with the plants that are growing and capturing photosynthetic energy at different times of the year. And yesterday, Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food Marie-Claude Bebo announced an investment of over $103,000 for the Organic Federation of Canada. The project brings together three primary national organizations that support the organics industry, the Organic Federation of Canada, Canadian Organic Growers, and the Canada Organic Trade Association. The Organic Federation of Canada is using the funds to develop a coordinated governance structure across the three organizations, as well as to design, develop, and implement a funding model that will be able to deliver the services required to support growth of the industry. The funding is provided through the Canadian Agricultural Strategic Priorities Program. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Wednesday, March 23rd. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll get an update from CN Rail on grain movements. Joining us now is David Chednovic with CN Rail. He's the Assistant Vice President of Grain. Well, it's been a, a very difficult uh, set of operating conditions through the winter. Of course, we're talking here today and it's uh, we're almost at the back end of March. And uh, for the week of um, March 6th, we were basically current to demand. We had caught up. So that was positive. However, if you go back and look into February and January, um, the combination of, and of course, you know, we're, we're both here in southern Manitoba. We know how, how uh, extreme the weather conditions have been here this year between the heavy snowfall and the persistent extreme cold. And that's been a feature of, the, uh, of operating conditions along most of our western region. You know, through the winter, it really started around Christmas and didn't really let up. But of course, prior to that, uh, we had the uh, three weeks where the main line between Vancouver and Kamloops was out of action, and uh, having three weeks not being able to utilize that vital artery created a huge accumulation of traffic, of course, and then the winter weather that we had did not help our cause. So uh, at the same time, uh, as I mentioned earlier, coming out of that now, going into the third week of March, we're basically current to demand, which is... Uh, from the, from the perspective of grain movement, which is positive to see. Any concerns or any issues with, with flooding, you know, as we start to see uh, the snow melt here? Haven't heard those uh, concerns yet, but I'm anticipating those. There's always that push for 
uh, getting grain out of certain uh, elevator assets in, in front of uh, flooding risk. Haven't had a lot of feedback on that yet, but it's something that we're monitoring closely, yes. How did uh, the drought last year impact what you're moving? Yeah, well, you know, on the, uh, on the Canadian grain demand front, certainly really from the, from the middle of November forward, I guess really December forward, we've seen demand for CN-supplied hoppers for Western Canadian grain movement running at 40 to 50% of what it was the year previous. You go from the largest crop on record to the, you know, to a one in 20 year drought, of, uh, drought event. That's going to have a big impact on, on, uh, on demand. We expect that demand's going to be light as we go forward here, given the, the uh, high percentage of grain that's already been moved out of the prairies. And then, as you say, on the flip side of that, however, we've also, we've seen changes in, in trade flows. Now, of course, CN does not reach into the heart of Feedlot Alley in, in Southern Alberta, uh, where the the real heavy amount of the demand is for corn this year, but we do play around the fringes of that in, in Alberta, and then there, there's of course beef cattle demand uh, in in Saskatchewan. You've got demand for corn from hogs here in southern Manitoba. You've got people who want to run ethanol. So we've had a steady program of corn running north, and our geography for pulling that corn is is Illinois and Wisconsin and Iowa primarily. So. It's also a function of geography. That corn on, on CN lines has to travel a much greater distance to get to get to destination relative to what the other carrier would have for origination coming out of the U.S. So those those factors all combined, it's been a steady program, but it's not of the scale that uh, that you might see with with another carrier that's got the heart of the demand in feedlot alleys. So and we expect that program to run, you know, until we get to new crop here. So. Are you um, seeing any impact from the war in Ukraine, you know, I guess with, with fertilizer shipments here, any, any impact on what you're doing? Clearly, and I mean, it's a terrible thing that's happening in the Ukraine right now. It's, uh, at the same time, it is really creating some very significant changes in global trade flows. From a Canadian demand perspective, again, it, it started, you know, in the last week of February, you've got forward sales put on. We, we haven't seen a spike in demand as a consequence of that. Where you're seeing it more is, is trade flow out of the U.S., um, where a lot of Ukraine corn, of course, can't get out. That's, that has to get covered by other origins. The U.S. is one of those origins that can cover. So from that perspective, we're seeing those changes occur. I think the more it will be interesting to see how things play out as we get into the back end of 2022 and beyond to see how, how – uh, how prolonged those changes in trade flows are and what the implications are for the movement of grain and other commodities. It's still early to tell. Did the CP labor situation, does that impact, um, you know, uh, what you guys are doing? Or, Well, certainly from the perspective of, uh, as I laid out kind of earlier, uh, given the, the really challenging winter operating conditions that we experienced combined with the impact of the accumulation of traffic as a result of the mainline disruption there in, in southern B.C. due to the washouts for a three-week period, you know, there's a lot of traffic uh, that, that is left to move. And uh, from the perspective of being able to take on additional traffic, I mean, we're working very closely with our customers. Our focus right through has been on, the, on that CN core traffic, also appreciating that many CN customers are also CP, also CP customers. So, you know, from the perspective of, of managing customer demand, we, we coordinate closely with them. Now the, the, the labor disruption has been uh, uh, resolved. But we did see a spike in, in demand um, that then uh, has since moderated in front, of that, in front of that labor disruption in terms of a, a bump in uh, demand for CN-supplied hoppers to move grain. It wasn't like, 
it, it doubled or anything like that, but we did see a bump, and that's since moderated. So, any final thoughts? You know, as we head head into spring here, or? I guess we're going to see how the uh, how the crop plays out here. We're going to have more moisture to work with here in southern Manitoba and other parts of the prairies. I wish everybody a good uh, spring planting campaign here, and fingers crossed that we have good rains in the spring and summer to make a good crop this coming year for everybody. That was David Chednovic, Assistant Vice President of Grain with CN Rail. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. In-person public engagement sessions for the Plummery Watershed are taking place starting at 6.30 p.m. The next meeting is March 24th at the RM of Stanley office, March 29th at the St. Jean Community Hall, and the final meeting March 31st at the Plum Cooley Community Hall. The Royal Manitoba Winter Fair takes place March 28th to April 2nd at Brandon's Keystone Centre, and the annual general meeting for Manitoba Pork is planned for April 6th at the Fairmont Winnipeg. You can register on the Manitoba Pork website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Wednesday afternoon, the Canadian Agricultural Hall of Fame is still accepting applications for the Class of 2022. I caught up with President Ted Menzies. The Canadian Agriculture Hall of Fame has been in operation since 1960, and it was set up to recognize uh, leadership in and vision in agriculture, in agriculture and food, not just specifically in primary agriculture, of course. Uh, so every year we like to remind people, we have, we have lots of names that have been put forward, uh, nomination for, uh, for receiving this recognition, but it's good for us to remind everyone that uh, this process takes place. We had a little bit of a slowdown during COVID, of course, but last November in Winnipeg, we had a very, very fun and successful culmination of two years uh, recognition of of those individuals. And so we're hoping to uh, redo this again, and it will be at where it actually started, which is with the Royal Winter in Toronto. That's where our gallery of portraits are. So we're encouraging people to think about someone that you know that has dedicated their lives to agriculture or to agri-food production, and uh, let us know. Send us uh, a nomination. You can go on the Canadian Agricultural Hall of Fame website and find out the criteria and the nominating process and we would encourage people to uh, to give it some thought and help us show some recognition to deserving individuals talk a little bit about um just the different you know types of um nominees it, it's very wide ranging the nominees come from first of all this is many provinces recognize individuals as well but this encompasses encompasses the whole country. So from Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, all the way through to British Columbia. And uh, we've recognized individuals from uh, each of those regions. And, and specific to, uh, I shouldn't say specific, not specific to anything more than a connection to agriculture and agri-food production, processing, businesses that are related to the agri-food industry. So we have geneticists that have worked on uh, 
on animal uh, genetics, that have worked on plant genetics. We've had people that just have promoted different livestock breeds that have been successful in uh, in starting a business, an agri-food business that uh, you know that serves the the public very broadly. We've had winemakers, uh, very agrarian industry based on uh, growing plants, and so it's uh, it's everything uh, everything that you would see that's tied to the agri-food industry all across this great country. Yeah, and again, uh, if people want to make a nomination, um, tell us about the process and, and the deadline here this year. Well, the deadline is May the 1st uh, for nominations. We like to be well prepared. Usually the gala awards ceremony, which I said will be at the Royal Winter in Toronto uh, in late in the fall. So we like to get started. So May 1st is the deadline. And uh, we... We would like everyone to put forward a good, solid nomination explaining uh, why they feel this individual should be recognized, uh, lots of letters of support and those sorts of things, which are usually quite easily uh, accessible for people that have have this notoriety. Uh, You need to be either an individual or corporate, corporate member of the Ag Hall of Fame and uh, if, if you are not, uh, it's very easy to become one. So we would encourage people to, uh, to take a serious look at this. I'm in Edmonton right now at a conference and talking to some individuals that say, hey, yeah, I know somebody I'd like to nominate. So it's as simple as that. And we would, we would encourage people to get engaged. That was Ted Menzies. He's the president of the Canadian Agricultural Hall of Fame. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. This week is Canada's first plant-based food week. Yesterday, Protein Industries Canada announced an investment into a project between Oat Canada and Roquette. The $4.1 million project will see the development of novel oat ingredients and nutritionally superior oat-based food and beverage products. Lisa Campbell is Director of Programs and Regulatory at Protein Industries Canada. Canada has a strong global reputation for growing both high-quality and large amounts of healthy, high-protein oats. Throughout this project, Roquette will build on that reputation by taking those oats and turning them into the first oat protein ingredient that we've developed here in Canada. From there... Oat Canada will incorporate the new ingredient into their renowned oat-based beverages, as well as in several new products. And Clearwater farmer Joe Gardner was the keynote speaker last week at the Stanley Soil Management Association annual meeting. He talked about plant diversity. The key is creating uh, diversity with the plants that are growing and capturing photosynthetic energy at different times of the year. And by doing that, we can capture sunlight more efficiently and feed the, the, the soil biology and the soil ecosystem. So our soils can infiltrate water and air and create homes for biology that are responsible for growing the plants that we need to survive. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll hear from federal conservative egg critic John Barlow. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon.
Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.